Chapter 60 She Who Is Examined Al-Mumtahina In the name of God, the Most Compassionate, the Most Merciful. This chapter was revealed during the final year of the Prophet's life and takes its name from the 10th verse. The main focus here is testing the basis of humanity's beliefs and alliances. Monotheists should base their likes and dislikes on what God has commanded. Love those who do what is right and just, and do not seek close alliances with those who oppose truth. This issue was of great relevance when the Muslims returned to Mecca in triumph about eleven years after their flight to Medina, in which they abandoned everything. During this time, Muslims were in position of power and had decided to return to their hometown, not just to retrieve what they had lost, but to free their people from oppression and let them choose the path of God without worrying about the unbelievers' hostile reaction. This chapter was revealed to warn those Muslims who had abandoned everything in his cause and chosen what is right not to make alliances with God's enemies. It reminds them that those who had forced you into exile and had killed some of you will surely show you no mercy if they manage to dominate you again. In fact, this admonition is primarily addressed to those Muslims who, regardless of time and place, continue to establish and maintain close alliances based on familial or tribal relationships rather than faith and belief. They still fail to understand how to prioritize their relationships, especially if there is a conflict between their various bases. You who believe, do not take my enemies and yours as your allies, showing them friendship when they have rejected the truth that you have received and have driven you and the messenger out simply because you believe in God, your Lord. Not if you truly immigrated in order to strive for my cause and seek my good pleasure. You secretly show them friendship. I know whatever you conceal and reveal. But any of you who do this are straying from the right path. This verse cautions the community of the faithful against forming close alliances with God's enemies on the grounds that his enemies are also their enemies. It also reminds them of how the unbelievers had treated them before they fled, and how they viewed having faith in God's divinity as their greatest crime. Do you still wish to maintain intimate relations with them? For whoever does so will eventually deviate from the path of righteousness and justice. God knows that which you hide better than you do. If they gain the upper hand over you, they will revert to being your enemies and stretch out their hands and tongues to harm you. It is their dearest wish that you may renounce your faith. If things take a turn for the worse and they somehow manage to dominate you, they will be your enemies again, show you no mercy, and eventually harm you.
They want you to join them, to return to your former unbelief. And yet, you still care about them and warn them of the Muslims' intention to return back to Mecca. On the day of resurrection, neither your kinsfolk nor your children will be of any use to you. He will separate you out. God sees everything that you do. In short, this verse lets the Muslims know that God is aware of our actions and that we should not betray Him. Note that God obliges Muslims to take care of their spouse and family members, warns them against cutting such ties, and stresses the importance of strengthening the bonds of kinship. Nevertheless, he declares that if these people commit evil and oppression and lean toward that which is unjust, justice and righteousness must take priority over family ties. The next verse provides us with a role model who had to deal with the same situation, the Quranic model of a complete human being in terms of monotheism, and the first person to pass all of God's trials to become the first imam or model for humanity, Prophet Abraham. There has already been for you an excellent example in Abraham and those with him when they said to their people, Indeed, we have dissociated ourselves from you and from whatever you worship other than God. We have denied you, and there has appeared between us and you animosity and hatred forever, until you believe in God alone. Except for what Abraham told his father, I will surely ask forgiveness for you, but I have no power to get anything on your behalf from God. They prayed, Our Lord, in you alone do we trust, and to you alone do we turn in repentance, and to you is the final return. Abraham's followers abandoned the worship of their people's rock and wooden idols, for they viewed those practices as false and antithesis of monotheism. Although the believers have no personal issue with the unbelievers, however, their idolatry had created animosity between them. One might ask, why then Abraham shows friendship toward his father, a sculptor of idols? Since keeping promises is extremely important in Islam, Abraham fulfills his promise by showing kindness and asking God to forgive him. But when he becomes certain that his father is an enemy of that which is right, he dissociates himself from him too. The Quran proclaims that we should always rely on him, put our trust in him, and be steadfast on his path. Some people prefer to have allies on all sides so they can maintain their status if circumstances change. This verse tells such people not to be afraid, but to rely only upon God at all times. Repentance means to return to God by dissociating ourselves from all falsehoods. The world is moving toward Him, and He is the final destination of all struggles. Our Lord, make us not a trial for the disbelievers. Forgive us, our Lord. 
Surely you are the mighty, the wise. Perhaps we consider ourselves to be in the right, but in practice we spend our life on the path of falsehood. Which path we choose and how we spend our time, life and assets are extremely important. Surely you have in them an excellent example for those whose hope is in God and the last day. And whoever turns away, God is all-sufficient and worthy of all praise. Abraham serves as a model from whom we can learn about close friendships and strong alliances. Muslims should have clear and well-defined criteria about these types of relationships. As God does not need our obedience, all of these admonitions are for our own good. If we show unity and are steadfast, our enemies will be unable to dominate us. God is intrinsically praised and, as such, does not need our praise and gratitude. Thus, all that he says about observing the limits and bounds of friendship, alliances, and enmity is designed to ensure the strength of our community. It may be that God will bestow love and affection between you and those whom you now hold as enemies. God is mighty, forgiving, and merciful. These animosities and delineations are only temporary, for if you remain true to your beliefs and values and steadfast in your path, they will soon make peace with you. As such, you will have maintained your dignity and clarified your parameters. Therefore, nothing prevents a close friendship between a devout Muslim and a devout Christian. Righteous people who remain on their path will have the upper hand over others and not be dominated. Furthermore, if they deviate from that path, God, who is forgiving and merciful, will forgive them. The next two verses are extremely important, for they focus on the sensitive issue of relationships between Muslims and non-Muslims and clarify how Muslims are to treat such people. The media spends a great deal of time propagating untruths against the Quran and the Prophet. God does not forbid you to deal kindly and justly with anyone who has not fought you for your faith or driven you out of your homes. God loves the just. The verse asks when God has ever prevented Muslims from showing kindness to non-Muslims. God has never ordered Muslims to adopt such an attitude toward those who did not take up arms against them and force them into exile, nor has he ever proscribed Muslims from being righteous toward others. The concept of qist, justice and fairness, is usually found in economic and trade relations. Thus, based on these conditions, trade between Muslims and non-Muslims has never been prohibited. God loves those who are just and fair. But God does forbid you to take as allies those who have fought against you for your faith driven you out of your homes, and helped others to drive you out. 
any of you who take them as allies will truly be wrongdoers. In other words, God has told you not to associate only with those who have fought you, forced you out of your homes, and supported each other in doing so solely because of your faith. They did not allow you to choose your own religion and denounce idolatry. In fact, the Meccan unbelievers killed some converts, tortured others, and eventually forced the entire community to flee. But in the absence of such hostility, he commands us to be kind and just toward them. He has not told us just to greet them, but to show them kindness that expects nothing in return. The Quran does not command Muslims to fight unbelievers until they convert or are killed, but simply do not associate with them based on guardianship or protectorship, something far more than friendship. Whoever establishes strong alliances with such people will be considered a wrongdoer because they are supporting an oppressor. O oh, you who believe! Test the believing women when they come to you as fugitives. God knows best about their faith. If you are sure of their belief, do not send them back to the disbelievers, for they are neither lawful wives for them, nor are they lawful husbands for them. But give the disbelievers whatever bride gifts they have paid. There is no blame upon you if you marry them once you have paid the bride gifts. Do not hold on to marriage bonds with disbelieving women, but ask for repayment of the bride gifts you have paid and let them, disbelievers, ask for what they have spent. This is God's judgment. He judges between you. God is all-knowing and wise. Several female Muslims married to polytheistic men and wanted to join the Muslims in Medina. This was extremely unpalatable for their husbands, given that women at that time had no rights whatsoever and that their husbands decided everything for them. Male privilege and paternalism has always been rife. For example, in most countries, women gained the right to vote only in the early part of the 20th century. And yet, there is a widespread propaganda campaign that Islam violates women's rights, although the Quran declared 14 centuries ago that women have a right to vote and are independent of their menfolk in regards to choosing their faith and swearing allegiance to the Prophet. The beginning part of the verse calls upon believers to examine these women, to make sure that they were not seeking worldly gain or working as spies for the Meccans. Those who were shown to have immigrated for Islam and due to their faith were allowed to stay. God knows best about their faith. In other words, do not be too stringent when examining them because only God knows who has truly become faithful. Furthermore, do not return her because she cannot be married to a non-Muslim. Thus, their marriage contract is dissolved and whatever the husband had spent for marrying her should be returned to him. 
Note that this Quranic directive was given at a time when the Muslims were at war with the unbelievers. This should not be taken lightly, because the circumstances were not normal. One side was fighting to establish justice, righteousness, humane values and virtues, as well as to ensure that morals would reign supreme. As this group cannot violate any person's rights, her former husband has the right to claim the wedding-related costs. But on the other hand, his former wife has the right to choose her own life. There is no blame upon you if you marry them once you have paid the bride gifts. These women may now be married because they are considered divorcees. The three-month waiting period still applies. Their bride gift should be paid, and they should be treated with respect and dignity. Also, if the husband converts and his wife does not, and rather joins the unbelievers, do not be upset or try to win her back. She has made her choice. If the joint covenant of values between a legally married husband and wife ends, sustaining the marriage is pointless. Simply claim what you have spent and move on. Some people ask if a female Muslim may marry a man from the people of the book. Jews and Christians. In principle, and based upon the Quran's express statements, there is no objection to such a union. However, if each spouse is serious about practicing his or her faith, conflicts will clearly eventually begin to emerge with uprising of their children. What God has commanded in these verses is based on His wisdom, is meant to preserve order in society, and to maintain the economic and material rights of all parties. If any of you have wives who leave you for the disbelievers, and if your community subsequently acquires gains from them, then pay those whose wives have deserted them the equivalent of whatever bride gift they paid. Be mindful of God in whom you believe. If a woman married to a Muslim joins the unbelievers, the Islamic community is duty-bound to compensate him for the bride gift, if the unbelievers and polytheists refuse to do so due to an ongoing war. One cannot use the excuse of war to violate another person's rights. Such damages are to be restricted to the actual costs incurred. The verse also admonishes the believers to keep God in mind in order to prevent fraud because it is hard to assess how much a person actually spent. The last two verses address the same issue. O Prophet, when believing women come and pledge to you that they will not ascribe any partner to God, will not steal, commit adultery, kill their children, lie about who has fathered their children, or disobey you in any righteous thing, then accept their pledge of allegiance, and pray to God to forgive them. God is most forgiving and merciful.
This verse shows that women individually pledged their allegiances to the Prophet, which, in reality, is the same as voting. They pledged to put aside all superstitious beliefs and not to steal. In pre-Islamic times, many women stole from their husbands or their homes. And so, the modern concept of communal property does not accord with Islam's conception of private property. Women also had to pledge that they would not commit adultery, have an abortion, or slander others by falsely attributing a child's paternity. In short, the verse obliges female Muslims to abstain from their pre-Islamic animosities and conspiracies. These women are not to disobey the Prophet in that which is moral and right. However, this does not mean that the Prophet may have issued an unjust and immoral command, for here God is stressing good and righteous deeds. As a side note, breaking an oath of allegiance was extremely dishonorable in the pre-Islamic era, and doing so stained the guilty party's family for a very long time. O you who believe, do not take as allies those with whom God is angry. They despair of the life to come, just as the disbelievers have despaired of meeting those buried in their graves. Who are the people who have angered God? Several passages indicate that these are the Jews, for despite God's blessings, they returned to their former idolatry and killed a number of prophets. The Quran also suggested that the hypocrites are God's enemies, for they have incurred his wrath by conspiring against the believers. But always bear in mind that God is neither influenced or affected, nor literally angered or pleased by what people do. In short, following a path that is contrary to what God has commanded will cause us to meet with an unfortunate end. They despair of the life to come. If our life is limited to this world and our death results in oblivion, why should we control our baser instincts? If we only live once, why should we sacrifice our life? The disbeliever's worldview maintains that there is nothing after death. Thus, how can Muslims make allies of those who have directly or indirectly taken up arms against them and enter into a relationship that may entail their eventual domination? This chapter begins and ends with this very significant message. It is truly unfortunate that some media personalities comment on these issues without having any real understanding of them. Numerous Arabic words are synonymous with friend, although they are all different and unique. Such so-called commentators do not understand that these verses refer to an extremely close bond and trusted friendship that entails a form of domination. Therefore, it is important to note these conceptual nuances in order to acquire a proper understanding of the Quran's message and 
of Islam.